0: Welcome to episode two of What We Believe and Why with pastor, author, and teacher, Dr. George Byron Koch. If you missed our first visit, it is available on the website as we jump in and start unpacking theology to make it accessible. Let's get to it. Here's George. As we begin today, let's remember that an essential is something that is necessary, utterly required. It's the if and only if that defines an essential. A non essential might be important or not, valuable or even highly regarded, but it's not necessary, it's not required. That's a critical distinction. One illustration that we might use for these two is to imagine a couple of concentric circles. The center circle are the essentials, the surrounding circle, the non-essentials. Now, let's give an example. What is necessary, utterly required, to live life as an independent human being. Well, the essential is that you were born and are still alive. Obviously, if you were never born, you don't have a life. And if you've died, you don't have a life. Now, I'm not saying anything tricky here. Just the simple idea that you are able to live a life as a human being if and only if you have been born and are still alive. That's simple. That's the essential. A non-essential would be that you are healthy, have shelter, are loved, own a red 58 Corvette, and much more. But be sure to note that because something is non-essential doesn't mean it isn't important or valuable. Sometimes we use imprecise language to emphasize a point. We might exaggerate like this. Well, you ain't really alive unless you're driving a 58 vet on old Route 66, top off, and pedal to the metal. Now, it sounds like a blast, but we all realize the word alive is not used with precision. Being alive doesn't require a 58 Corvette. To some folks, owning one is valuable and important, but it obviously is not essential to being alive. Similarly, health, shelter, and love are valuable and profoundly important, but they are non-essential in the sense of our definition here. You have a life as a human being if and only if you were born and are alive. If this distinction isn't completely clear, you might pause and imagine some other examples of things that are essential and non-essential in various spheres of life, travel, games, relationships, location, money, education, and so on. What is the if and only if, and what isn't? You can go without a healthy diet, without exercise, without having shelter or people who love you, and without a red Corvette, and still have a life. If you are dead or were never born, then a good diet and exercise mean nothing, and it doesn't matter how great your shelter is, how many people love you, or if your name is on the title to the 58 vet. You're not alive, so you don't have a life. Being alive is the only essential in this case. The non essentials may be important or not, but the essential of being alive is required. The distinction is an important one in doing good theology and in living as a follower of Jesus. This will be applied with care many times in our journey together in this book, in these sessions, and I pray that it will become an indispensable tool in your own thinking in doing theology and in drawing close to God and doing what He commands. So, Let's begin to apply this and look at one of the essentials of the Christian faith, and that's salvation. Now, Christian evangelists, pastors, teachers, theologians, and many others speak about salvation and being born again as the beginning of a Christian's life. They speak about it as such because Jesus spoke about it as such. How this happens and how quickly is described differently in different traditions of the Church. But there is unity in recognizing it as the initiating reality of being a Christian. It is an essential of the faith. Many of the things of the faith are not essential, as we will see, but salvation is. Salvation is this. Our trust in Jesus and his faithfulness to us makes us alive now and forever, with God. His righteousness is counted as ours, and we enter into an everlasting covenant with him. Now, this includes the concepts of accepting Jesus as Savior, of our sinfulness, of his atoning sacrifice, justification, and so on. And we will unpack these as we go along. Justification is a closely related term not identical to salvation, but close. It is that his righteousness is credited to us. In spite of our sin, because of him, we are declared innocent before God. That's pretty much the central truth of the Christian faith said simply. Jesus teaches about this as recorded in the four gospels, the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and his followers write about it in the other books of the New Testament. For two millennia, Christians have discussed and debated how salvation happens, but they widely concur that it must. So it is a good place to start in our desire to know God more. Now let's put a little background to this. Our modern Bibles are in English and the text is a translation from Hebrew in the Old Testament and Greek in the New Testament. The underlying words of the original languages have meanings and nuances of meanings, not all of which come through in our modern language. Sometimes this doesn't matter much at all, but at times the additional meanings in the Hebrew or Greek are important. There are also ancient cultural assumptions related to many of the underlying words, and modern cultural assumptions about the English words that simply don't correspond, and this can cause misunderstanding. It's one of the reasons we have Bible teachers and pastors who have studied the biblical languages to help us grasp more fully what is taught in Scripture. What follows is one of those instances. This theologian, or that church, might have this idea or that idea about salvation And some of those ideas might be worthwhile. But rather than start with those, we'll listen in as Jesus explains to Nicodemus what salvation, what being born again, is all about. Jesus is the source of this essential truth. So we will intentionally take some time working through the story from the Gospel of John and looking into some of the original language. The journey will be worth the time spent but it won't be quick. This is from John 3, 1 through 21, and I'm using the New Living Translation. And let me just make a footnote here about biblical translations. Which translation of the Bible is best is a hotly debated topic in some circles, with thoughtful and sometimes zany arguments about this version or that one. These issues won't be addressed here. Mostly, I will use the New Living Translation. When I use a different version, I'll indicate what version it is that I'm using. Here's the reading from John 3, 1 through 21. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader, who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things, I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven." And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in Him. But anyone who does not believe in Him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light, so others can see that they are doing what God wants. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back with more on what we believe and why.